just pray with me real quick for our time in the word together heavenly father we uh, we just thank you for uh, time uh, time together and the freedom to meet together and uh, father we pray that this morning as we open up the pages of your word in the gospel of mark that we would hear from you about your son jesus about the freedom that he gives to us about the war that he's won for us, and about how we might join him outside in freedom from our sin as servants of him. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I uh, was uh, sitting over there worshiping with you all this morning, listening to Dave's story, and uh, as I was thinking about the beginning of my sermon, uh, uh, another story came to mind. I had the opportunity to go uh, with some of our church people, with the Burkitts and um, with Eric, to Indonesia, as many of you know. And uh, one of the things that I didn't expect when I went on that trip was uh, to miss my kids. I know that sounds silly, like, yeah, you're a dad, you're supposed to miss your kids. But I, I just didn't, I didn't prepare for that. I didn't think about that. And um, I'll, never, I'll never forget uh, that moment, two weeks after I'd left, coming home in the airport, and there were Tinley and Preston, and they had signs, and Tinley had her cute little squeal and her bounce, like, ah, daddy! And uh, it was the best moment ever, just that, um, man, so much joy, so much love wrapped up in that one moment, that one expression of coming home and being together again. And I shared that story, and I think about that story because there's a little bit of that same picture at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. And that picture is really going to to carry us through this journey, through the book of Mark, this journey through the year with our church family um, of of seeing Jesus again, knowing that he's coming home from this long war. So Mark 1.1, it's an awesome verse. It's not even a sentence. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And uh, this, this phrase is really serving as the title of this book that uh, we're going to journey through in 2018. And uh, I, I share this and I emphasize this because I think sometimes it's so easy to run past some of this because uh, this word gospel in our culture, uh, it's, it's become a church word. It's become a word that we throw around. It's, you know, and, and we understand that it means the good news about Jesus and all those things. But in the context that it was written, in their culture, it was a very vivid and imaginative word. Because the good news that it would have represented was the picture that this word painted for them was the picture of men returning from war. Imagine in that day and time with no social media, no news reporters, no CNBC, no whatever it is, right? Uh, Imagine sending men off to war, not being able to hear from them, not being able to check on them, not knowing if they were okay, and then that one day coming over the horizon 
men coming home from war. You see your loved ones. Imagine the amount of joy. Imagine the love. Imagine the the peace that comes with knowing that they're okay. But more than that, imagine realizing the freedom that you now have, knowing that the enemy is defeated. You can have peace. There's safety. There's freedom. And that's the picture that Mark wants to paint about the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? That when we come into contact with the good news of Jesus Christ, when we have a relationship with him, it's as if he is coming home from this war with sin. And he has defeated it. And so as we think about the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he starts with this vivid picture of of freedom in all areas of our life. Freedom from the sin that, that entangles us. Freedom from the sin that holds us back. And that's a beautiful picture. It's a moment that we embrace and never forget and enjoy forever when we know the one who gives us freedom. Mark is uh, all about becoming a servant. I I love uh, the gospel of Mark for a couple of reasons. One is because Mark never identifies himself as the author. In fact, some people say he was simply a scribe for Peter, who was the more well-known showy uh, apostle. And um, I just love that he is on this mission to point to the Son of God. Like even his beginning is just so simple. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the the Son of God. And his gospel story, the the way that he tells it, it climaxes in a verse that, that many of you may have heard or you may know or recognize. And in Mark 10, 45, we read this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here at Christ Community, maybe you're new, maybe you've been here for a while, but but we believe so strongly in the good news of Jesus Christ. We believe that that moment where Jesus returns home from the war uh, should be and can be and is happening in people's lives every day. That's what we believe in. And so because we believe so strongly in that, we're trying to figure out how our lives can can go outside and join him in that. We aren't just called to come to church on Sunday. We're not just called to to be good people or to do good things. We're not just called to, to serve at all the local ministries. We're called to go outside. We're called to be missionaries in our daily lives, to be the ones that are walking with Jesus as he comes back from war against sin. And that's the challenge, right? Because missionaries, they have to listen, they have to learn about their community every day while at the same time figuring out how to love that community like Jesus would. That's our task and our challenge. And this is a challenge for us because if we're honest, it's, it's way easier to just love people without ever listening to them, right? It's way easier to, to just love in a way that seems comfortable, love in a way that you feel like you're good at, love in a way that you know you can, rather than to slow down and listen to people and figure out the best way to love them. Have you ever noticed that the uh, best Christmas gift givers are the people who listen really well? How many of you are good Christmas gift givers? All right, no one. This is a good Christmas gift giver. All right, good. So we are all uh, deficient in this area together. Uh, Sherry Allen is a good Christmas gift giver. She's a good listener. I, on the other hand, am not. Um, so my wife has the, uh, her love language is gift giving. 
And she tries to deny that because she knows I'm bad at it. But somehow she has grace for me. So um, I thought, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do really well this Christmas. I listened and I heard her say way back in the year that a KitchenAid mixer might be a nice thing to have. Okay, so I thought, I thought, I was, I thought I was on it. But I forgot that um, I had written a note on her birthday because I almost got it for her birthday because uh, that was when she was kind of hinting that that might be a nice gift. But I decided, ah, I'm not going to do that for her birthday. So I wrote this nice note. It was a poem. And I explained why I didn't get a KitchenAid mixer in the poem. And I told her if she was patient, she might get it at Christmas. In the note, right? Forgot that I wrote that note. Always a good thing when you forget things. So... Um, Meanwhile, uh, we get pregnant. Uh, we're expecting a baby. Uh, we thought we were done at two, so all of our baby stuff is gone and, uh, you know, all the things. And so now there's like a whole new list of things that I should be listening to that would be great Christmas gifts, like a certain diaper bag. But I didn't listen to that. <laughs> I didn't listen to that. So uh, I got a KitchenAid mixer, and uh, she was, as she always does, she loves getting gifts, but she also wants to know what her gift is. And so she's like testing me on this one day, and I'm like, I'll give you a hint. And I was like, I almost got it for you for your birthday. But I forgot that I'd written a note that said I almost got you this for your birthday. And she's like, oh, you got me a mixer. And I was like, how did you? Ah! I was so frustrated, right? So, like, I failed at giving gifts again. Uh, not that she's not grateful, and she's made things with the KitchenAid mixer and all those things. But, but the, the whole thing is this, right? We, we love before we listen. We love before we listen. It's so easy for us to get out in front of ourselves and in front of Jesus and just try to make something happen to love and, and to, to do things the way that we think they should be done instead of listening to the people that God has called us to love. We can be so bent towards action that we do good things, but we don't love well. I'm reminded of uh, the test that I got in middle school. I think teachers like to use it uh, at different times in our careers, but you know, you get the test and there's like 83 instructions, and the first instruction is read all the instructions before you begin, and then the last instruction is like, don't do anything on this paper. I failed that test too, okay? <laughs> I'm just not very patient. I'm not good at that. But so often, that is, that is a picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. We try to get in front of him. We try to love people well. We try to do good things. We try to serve well. But sometimes when we're serving well, we're not loving well because we haven't listened to the God who created us. Philip Devine uh, tweeted uh, something at me and at the church from a guy named Craig Greenfield, and I thought it kind of wrapped this idea up well in terms of learning how to both be an outsider and be about action, but also be patiently listening to the Lord, said this, Note to missionaries in a hurry. Jesus spent 30 years immersed in one culture before launching his ministry, and he was the Son of God. So, in 2018, walk slowly, drink coffee locally, learn the language deeply, study the culture intimately, invest time to build relationships. We have to listen before we love. And so as we think about that tension that that creates in our life of, of, of listening and learning while we're loving, I want us to think about what that, would happen, what that would change in our lives if we really begin to embrace this idea. How would our marriage change if instead of just loving the spouse in a way that was comfortable for us, we learned to listen to them and love them the way that they're best loved? 
Would our kids think about us differently if instead of us trying to push them towards certain things or make them be certain people, if we learn to listen to how God created them and, and what their passions and desires are and begin to fuel those things? How would, how would that change the way that we parented our kids? How about just relationally? Would it be easier for us to connect with people and with friends if we listened before we just sprang into action or if we sought to, to be servants of them as opposed to just loving them in the way that's comfortable for us. See, when we think about these things, it's, it, it's a little bit tough when we think about that, but then it gets really tough when we recognize that we do the same thing with Jesus. We think we know how to love Jesus, right? Okay, I'm going to show up to church. I'm going to do good things. And, and that's how Jesus, you know, he's going to be pleased with me. But the problem is, is that we don't slow down long enough to listen to him. We don't stop ourselves long enough to listen to what he's asking us to do. And that's the beauty of Mark's gospel. And that's why we want to rest in it for this year is that Mark understood that there was way more to loving Jesus than just loving well. But that there was this transformation that happens where we're more intimately tied to Jesus, where, where we're listening and learning from him while we learn to love others. The gospel is, is bringing good news to all people, right? Not just to, to those who have it together or those who love well, but to all people. And so the idea that we want to begin to wrap our brains around as we step into this new year is that servanthood is greater than service. Servanthood is greater than service. I love that Christ Community is a serving church, but we have to learn to be servants, not just serving. You say, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between servanthood and service? Aren't we just splitting hairs? People provide services, but people are servants, right? It's who we are. When I think about service, I think about the people of Oregon who are no longer pumping gas. They were, serve they were just providing a service, right? They weren't serving the people. They were just providing a service. But servants are people who are submitted to an authority in their life. Let's think about some other differences between service and servanthood. Service is when you complete a task. It's when something gets done. When you, um, when you do a service, you are expecting something in return. And, and really, I think for many of us, what we're doing when we serve sometimes is we're expecting to cancel out our bad actions, right? If I do something good, it will cancel out something bad. But, but a servant is someone who's people-focused, right? You're helping a person you realize that when you become a servant, someone's life is changing. You don't expect anything in return, and you're willing to face your sin, which is what we're going to see as we dive a little bit further into Mark 1. Service is easy. Service is easy. It's easy to say, I will do this action for you, but servanthood is hard. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What is the beginning of this freedom that we can find in Christ? Mark starts with a guy named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's life becomes an incredible picture of this idea that servanthood is greater than service. Verse 2 says, As it is written in Isaiah, the church prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John knew what his mission was. He knew what he was supposed to do, right? He was supposed to prepare the way for the Lord. But I can't imagine him being ready 
for what happened when he actually got out there in the mission field, when he actually started serving, all of a sudden he had to listen to the Lord as opposed to what I would imagine his flesh was telling him. Look what happens next in verse 4. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him. Think about that. All the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. One night, you're just John the Baptist. The next night, you're out in the wilderness telling people about Jesus and all the people of Judea and all of Jerusalem are like flocking to you to hear what you're saying and they want to be baptized by you and you all of a sudden are the man. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? What a test for John. Was he really a servant of Christ? Or was he just there to provide the service of baptism, which people liked a whole lot? Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey, and he preached And this is what he said. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John says, listen, as great as this service is, it's it's awesome to confess our sins. There's healing in confessing our sins. There's transformation in baptism. As awesome as that is, as as great as it feels to take a good next step, there's something better coming. Jesus is coming, and he's coming with freedom from those sins. John knew this truth from his time spent with the Lord preparing for ministry. It's not what we do for God. It's not what we do for God. It's what God does to us. It's not what we do for God. It's what God does to us. And this just wrecks us, right? This wrecks us because all of us want to be achievers. We want to be successful. We want to have accomplishments. We want God to be proud of us. But it's not what we do for God. It's what God does to us. And that's difficult for us to swallow. But here's what's crazy. Jesus, who was God himself, even submitted to this truth about the power of God. When he came, as we talked about in Philippians 2 a couple months ago, right? When he came to earth in the form of man, he took on humanity, right? He was God and man. And so in that humanity, he himself submitted to this idea that it wasn't what he would do for God, but what God would do through him while he was here on this earth. That's crazy. Mark continues in verse 9. So John's baptizing, right? People are flocking to him, and he's continuing to tell them, keep your eyes open, Jesus is coming. And it says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Matthew tells the same story in his gospel, and it gives us a little bit more insight. It says, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And then notice this. It says, John would have prevented him 
John would have stopped him, right, and said, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Jesus was baptized. He didn't baptize himself. Jesus was baptized. He didn't need baptism for forgiveness, but he did it merely for submissive obedience. He did it because he was a servant of his Father in heaven. It was fitting, he said, to fulfill the righteousness. It was the right thing to do. And as a result, because Jesus takes the form of a servant, God reveals himself in a major way. You see, in this moment, it's not about what Jesus did in coming to be baptized. the, The action isn't in the fact that Jesus came to the Jordan to be baptized. It's what God did to him because he listened. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit descends on him as his ministry begins, and and he is lavishly affirmed as the Son of God. You know, when you or I make the decision to be baptized, it's an important one. I still remember the day that I made that decision in my life. And if we don't submit to the waters of baptism, then then we don't submit to the God who asks us to be baptized, right? Like, it's, it's an important thing when we choose to be baptized. We have a responsibility in that. But even in that, it's not that we chose to get baptized that threatens Satan, that threatens our enemy. It's not that we chose to be baptized that changes our lives. It's that the God of the universe forgives us of our sins, and he fills us with his spirit, and he affirms us as his children. It's not what we do for God. It's what God does for us when we listen. But what happens after that? What happens after that moment? Maybe for for many of us, right, we had that moment long ago in our lives. Maybe we've had it recently. What happens when we leave the waters of baptism and and begin to figure out what it looks like to be a servant of Jesus in our lives? Jesus got invited to a wedding party one time. We read uh, about the story in Luke 14. So Jesus gets invited to this wedding party, and he notices as he's looking around the room that that all the people are kind of in this competition to see who can get into the most honorable seats. They're trying to do good things to impress the host of the party. And so Jesus is having a conversation with the guy who invited him, and he begins to tell him a, a parable, a story. And he says, you know, there was a guy once that, that threw a really great banquet, and he invited a whole lot of people. He invited everybody he knew. And he and his servant, they began to get ready for this party, right? So you can imagine, for those of you who are good party throwers, not me, all the things that go with throwing a great party, right? You got to get the food right. You got to get the decoration right. You got to get the invites sent out. You got to make sure you got some kind of entertainment, whether that's music or, you know, you invite somebody funny to the party. I don't know. I'm not good at throwing parties, so I don't even know what the list is, but there's a lot of things you got to do to get ready to throw a good party. And so they're getting all these things ready for the party. He's invited all of his friends, and when they finally get everything just right, the guy who throws the party looks at his servant, and he says, go tell everybody it's ready. Go tell everybody the party is ready. So the servant goes out, and he begins to say, hey, you coming? Party's ready. And scripture says, but they all like began to make excuses. They all like began to make excuses. 
The first one said, I just, I've got a field. I've got to go check on my, my field. In other words, I'm investing in, in something else. I'm, I'm not invested in the party. I'm invested in taking care of, of what I have here on this earth. That's my, my most important priority right now. He said, you're going to have to excuse me. I'm not, I'm not coming to the party. So the servant goes to the next guy. Next person says, well, I just bought a team of oxen. I bought a team of oxen, and I've got to go look them over. I've got to check out those oxen. And um, I'm, I'm really more invested in my success, right? I'm invested in what these oxen can bring to me, how they can help me in this life. And so you're going to have to excuse me. I, I can't make it to the party. So the servant goes to the next person. The next person says, oh, man, you're never going to guess what happened. I got your invitation to the party. Then I got married. It was great. I got to spend some time with my wife. So that relationship to me is more important than going to this party with your master. So the servant goes back. He says, Master, all those people you invited to the party, no one's coming. No one's showing up. And he says, well, then go back out and invite the lame, the crippled, the blind, whoever you can find. He said, well, they're already here. And he said, well, then go out to the highways and the hedges and keep inviting people to the party because people need to be at the party. And so the servant goes back and he it says he begins to compel people, right? To compel people to come to this great feast. Now it's clear that Jesus told this story to this man to help him to understand this. That there's a lot of good things that we can do in this life, right? It's not wrong to have a field. It's not wrong to have a team of oxen. It's not wrong to have relationships and marriages and, and all the good things. And doing good things, serving those things well, those are good. But our strengths and the good things in our life can so quickly flip on their head and become things that we are servants to, as opposed to being servants of Jesus himself, the one who's throwing the only party that we would really want to attend. When we begin to walk in our new lives, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we trying to do our best for God or are we accepting his invitation to keep returning to his presence? We can't be too busy. We can't be too important. We can't be too, too distracted to accept the invitation into Jesus' presence. What God does for us when we listen to him is he frees us from the sin that keeps us from being his servant, right? Those good things that we, we see as good can so quickly become the sin that grabs onto us. And what we see next is that you have to face your sin if you want to be a servant. You have to face your sin if you want to be a servant. Jesus is baptized by John. He comes up out of the water. He's affirmed as the Son of God. And then it says this in verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This is strange, right? The Spirit, it says, drove him out into the wilderness. It's not a, a typical way that I describe my relationship with God, right? That he would drive me out into the wilderness. But what we see is that he literally pushed him outside. 
But notice that Jesus stayed in the wilderness, right? He went willingly, knowing that, that God had his best interest at heart. Jesus puts himself in a position for God to work. Only with God's help and the truth of his word was Jesus able to resist the temptations of power and prestige and honor that Satan would put in front of him. He had to face his enemy out in the wilderness. It was hard. It was uncomfortable. It was taxing. But God was with him and then some. Even angels come and minister to him. And so the question that you and I have to answer as we think about what we're going to do in our lives this week to, to allow God to work is how can we put ourselves in a position for God to work in our lives? We have to face our enemy, just as Jesus did. And what is our enemy? Our enemy is sin. So how do we face our sin? There's a couple of things that I think we can see in the way that Jesus responded that we can too. Number one is to be sure of your salvation. When Jesus was baptized, God says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. When we have a relationship with Christ, we can be confident of our salvation. And we know that when we face our sin, we know the one who has defeated sin. Know that the sins you face will be forgiven by Jesus. 1 John 3, 4 and 6 says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. But, this is good news, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. John goes on to tell us about the confidence that that gives us. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. We can be confident in our relationship with Christ. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. The most important thing you can ask of Jesus is for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you confess with your mouth that he is the Lord of your life, you will be saved. And that confidence allows us to face our enemy, sin, head on. Number two is that we have to be willing to meet Jesus at our sin. You have to be willing to meet him there. Just as Jesus was willing to stay in the wilderness when the Spirit drove him out, we have to be willing to face our sin, to go where you don't want to go, to face the things that you don't want to face, and to own the fact that there is sin in your life. Jesus said in John 16, 8, that when the Spirit comes, he would convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. No one likes to face their sin. No one likes to own the fact that they're a sinner. For a long time, I think when I thought about sin in my life, I tried to avoid it. It's kind of like the dog who pees in your house, right? The dog is afraid that if I have to go to the spot where I pee, the owner's going to rub my nose in it. And I think I thought for some reason that, that God would do the same to me. That if I had to own up to my sin, that he would rub my nose in my sin. But in fact, the opposite is true. God doesn't do that. He sets you free from it. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Meet Jesus at your sin because he wants to set you free from it. But if you continue to avoid it, then you will continue to be trapped by it. When Jesus faced his temptation and God helped him defeat it, Satan left. Satan left. 
And in that moment, Jesus was free to do what God had called him to do. You see, you have to face your sin if you want to be a servant. If you want to walk in the freedom of Christ, if you want to be able to fulfill the calling he has placed on your life, you can't act like sin isn't there. You have to meet Jesus at your sin and allow him to free you from it. Because sin is always coming back at us and is trying to defeat us. Last but not least, we can't expect to defeat sin by ourselves. I love that Jesus, who was both God and man, when he faced his temptation, you could tell that it was hard for him. And you could tell because God sends his angels to minister to him, right? That's huge. In much the same way, we think we can beat our own sins. We think that we can clean up our own lives, but we need help. James 5, 19 through 20 is such an encouragement. It says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Anybody else need brought back every once in a while? It's easy to wonder. And we need to be bringing each other back. There's maybe a lot of ways to do this, but the most practical and the one that has always seemed to be effective in the lives of believers that I know is through simply committing to being together in community on a consistent basis. As you came in this morning, you were handed a card with community groups on it. I just want to encourage you. It's not even a challenge. I just want to encourage you that if you want to walk in the truth and to continue to to be called into that and to be loved and to be encouraged and to know that you're not alone in your battle against sin, be a part of one of those. Be a part of one of those. If you need help connecting to one of those, um, I'm going to be over by the Connect board and you're going to hear about more ways that you can connect to those uh, in the coming week. But they start tonight. And here's the thing. Maybe you look at James and you're like, I want to be bringing people back. There's people in my life that don't know Jesus that have wandered from the truth. You can't bring anyone back if you're not staying engaged yourself. It's hard to invite someone to the banquet if you're not attending yourself. I want to close uh, just talking to our church for just a minute, right? We have an agenda here at Christ Community. We want to serve so well that people want to be servants. We want to serve so well that when, when we serve, they say, he's not just doing something for me. He's, he's serving someone else. He's serving someone greater. Christ community has always and prayerfully will always be committed to serving the communities that we're a part of. We're going to keep serving. That's our calling. That's who we're created to be. We think it's so important, right, that we want to see other churches that are committed to serving the community to, to, to be started. We will keep serving. But what we're really after is servants. Servants. People who are committed to the journey. They're not just chasing after an opportunity to serve and make themselves feel good. People who are committed to Jesus. They're not just chasing a quick, quick fix for their life problems. We're after people who are laying down their lives to promote eternal life. We're after people who are servants of the, of the one true king. We're after people who will face their sin instead of just trying to justify it and make excuses for it. We're after people who will drop everything, their fields, their oxen, sometimes even their relationships, and accept the invitation of their master.
We're after people who talk about Jesus the way that John did when he said, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. We're after people that want Jesus to change their lives and set them free from the sin that so easily entangles us. Church, we have to be careful. When we value the church most as a place to serve or an opportunity to connect, we vastly, vastly undersell it. Sometimes we even disfigure it. And most importantly, we make it confusing for those who don't know Jesus. When we see Love Shelbyville or service opportunities as just another way to serve, that brings the focus back to ourselves. It turns us inside and it changes us from a church to a club. I don't want to be a serving club. We are a church, a movement of people committed to being servants of Christ, to joining him outside of the gates, outside of these walls, outside of our comfort zones, ready to say to him at any moment, how can I help you, Jesus? Are you committed to serving or are you committed to being a servant? It's tricky because the answer is revealed not by what you say or by what you decide, but by what God is doing in your life. The answer is only determined by him. So will you face your sin and put yourself in a position for God to change you? The band is going to come. And today, the invitation is simply this. Will you let Jesus change your life? Will you let Jesus transform you? Will you let him give you freedom in the face of your sin? It requires transparency. It requires authenticity. It requires an attitude of surrender. There's nothing you can do. It's already been done. And sometimes that's the hardest part for us to accept. And so this morning, maybe you've been trying your best to figure out this whole Jesus thing. And it's time for you to lay that down. If that's you, if you've been trying to figure out Jesus and you've never let Jesus just come in and change who you are, I invite you to come back to the back. I'll be back there and others. We just want to pray with you and invite Jesus to do that. There's no secret sauce. There's nothing we can do either, right? Except for simply inviting Jesus into those areas of our life. For those of you who have been changed by Jesus, who are trying to figure out how to keep walking with him, to keep putting yourself in a position where you can face your sin and invite people to the party, we encourage you to come forward, take communion with us, take a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice. And remember in that moment that whatever sin you're facing, whatever sin you're battling in your life right now, you have freedom from it because of what Jesus has done on the cross. You're free from it. You are no longer a slave to fear or sin. You are a child of God. And whenever we take communion, that is what we get to celebrate and remember each week. Would you pray with me as we respond to the gospel today? Father, we just come to you this morning. And we confess to you that we are addicted to our own success. We're addicted to ambition. We're addicted to achievement. 
And Father, we just ask and pray that you would have mercy on us in that place. We pray, God, that you would free us from the sin that is holding us back. God, we pray that you would give us the courage to face that sin so that we can be your servants. Father, in 2018, I pray that you would transform our hearts, that you would shift us from thinking about all the actions we can take to helping us realize that it's who we are in you. That you would help us to surrender as we come to that moment where we realize that you have won the war and we simply get to celebrate the freedom of that with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us this morning as we sing and as we respond?
Thanks, guys. Uh, we've come to the part of our service where we encourage you to take a next step. Uh, there's several opportunities for you to engage in uh, as we move forward, uh, one of which is when Dave was speaking about Honduras. Uh, he's actually going to be over here to my right. Uh, if you have any questions concerning that trip for today, uh, he'll be over there. He'll be willing to answer those. Uh, also, that meeting that's coming up, I believe he said uh, the 14th, correct? Um, if you feel called to that, please uh, take that next step and go to that first and figure that out. Uh, also, Christ Community would like to connect with you. Um, if we can pray for you in any way, if you're um, looking for any opportunity with the church, if you'll just fill out one of these connect cards, we would like to connect with you um, and how we can best serve you. Uh, the final way that you can take a next step, and we really encourage you to do this, uh, it's kind of... Something that everybody can participate in is community groups. Uh, like you said, uh, if you did not get a blue card when you came in, we can get you one uh, as you go out. I do believe some of the group leaders may be over uh, to my right as well. Uh, back there, Sam said there's some cards. Um, get engaged with a community group. Uh, talk to some of these leaders and, and just see how you may fit with them and uh, just get engaged. Let me pray. Father, we just thank you for an opportunity, Lord, We just uh, to come out here and worship. Lord, we just ask that uh, we truly understand what it is to become a servant, Lord. We just ask that uh, you guide us in whatever way you see fit to take our next steps, Lord. We just ask that uh, we get committed with a, with a group. Lord, we just ask that we better grow together and uh, just experience you more and more every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.